This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Wednesday the 27th of September. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and you know what, Suella? Public speaking is really hard, so well done you. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we treat the UK press like the circus it is. We coo at the Guardian's high-wire investigations, get scared when the Times sticks its head inside a lion's trousers, and laugh when the star <laughs> slaps a custard pie right in the rishi, sorry, ringmaster's chops. And from this week, we're out every single weekday. No longer will Tuesdays and Thursdays feel left out. And you lovely listeners have been enjoying the show. Gabby said she laughed so hard she had to pull over to wheeze, which sounds a bit dangerous. And John likes us because we're like a news panel show, except he says the contributors aren't bitter pensioners. Though that is our life goal. <laughs> so if you want to help our proudly independent, plucky little podcast keep going, possibly until we are actually bitter pensioners, why not chip in a few quid to the Papercut Supporters Club? Just visit back.papercutshow.com. That's B-A-C-K, papercutshow, that's two S's in there, dot com, to find out how. There's a link in the show notes. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Guess who's back? Donald Trump is grabbing the headlines again for fraud, guns and protecting the whales? Suella Vergal... Suella Braverman wants to rip up the 1951 UN Convention on Human Rights because she thinks it's too soft on refugees. And nanny state. Posh women unite in the Times and the Telegraph in support of Boris and Carrie Johnson because you just can't get the staff. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we fiddled with the flat plan and hot desked the subs. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and joining me on the show today is writer and man with genuine train knowledge, John Elledge. Hello, John. Hi. <laughs> also with us is comedian and man of actual cheese expertise, Marcus Brigstock. Hello. So, what have we got on the front pages today? John, what do we have? So, the Daily Mail has gone with Labour's class war begins on day one. Uh, that's obviously about Starmer's plan to liquidate the Kulaks, accompanied, if you can see that, by Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> over, in, over in the eye, uh, an explanation of that story. It's private schools go to battle with Labour over 20% VAT in first year of winning power. Um, far bit from me to, to praise the Daily Mail, but their headline was punchier, wasn't it? Yes, just a little, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, I've got I've got the star. Uh, today, the Daily Star saves the world. Way! It was only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you have, Marcus? Uh, well, I've got the Daily Telegraph, which I have to say, I only ever see a physical copy of the Telegraph when I come here, and it is still nearly an acre of paper. <laughs> it's astonishing. Uh, lockdown damage to children was preventable. This is a a big, interesting, important story, unfortunately, in the Telegraph, so it's all skewed, but the damage to children is hugely important. And then, uh, referring to um, Suella Braverman's speech, uh, British culture could disappear without curbs on migration, and that's placed directly under a picture of Mick Jagger, 
who, to be fair to them, does look like a falafel. Uh, so perhaps that's what they're referring to. And then the Times, Sunak risks row with both sides, which has pretty much characterised his entire time in politics. But this particular row is over targets for electric cars. And then immigration is threat to the West, says Braverman. And then the Sun, the Sun's front page is... It's it, epic, I, isn't it? It's a gem. It's an absolute <laughs> gem. There's a smart-looking photograph of an aeroplane taking off, and the headline is, BA pilot snorts coke off topless woman, then tries to fly plane. Now, my favourite word there is tries, <laughs> because I think Britain loves a trier, you know? And you're sure he was drunk and he was high on coke, but my God, he gave it a go. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> well, the, I think we should talk about that story because he kind of didn't give it a go, did he? He was no, basically, he was prevented. He was prevented from doing it, but he he essentially had a. a full-on party time, didn't he? Yeah. With a, a couple of other men and a, a couple of women. And he then made the mistake of texting all the details to someone else. And they've got the entire text, haven't they? They've got the entire manuscript. And just to give you a little hint, it begins with, I was very, very naughty. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's explaining to a female friend uh, at huge length, all of the text to him, followed by her going... Babes, that's wild. Yes. Which is like the flattest response I've ever seen. The one uh, I liked was, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, got to say, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> yes. so, uh, it's basically saying, stop now, I don't want to hear any more. Yeah. But she then reported, I mean, quite rightly, she did say, okay, that's all fine. But obviously, you you know, great party night. You're not quite in the fit state to fly the plane. So she did report him and he was prevented. They they uh, drug tested him. Yes, and he, didn't, he didn't actually fly the plane. And yeah, no. and he's, he's lost his job as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that headline, it does remind me of kind of old 90s type headlines, but they used to be about celebrities, but that yeah. doesn't really happen now. So they're just going for the kind of general public. First, they came for the celebrities <laughs> and I said nothing. <laughs> then they came for the pilots. <laughs> so um, I think also we should talk about the star, about it, how it saved the world for 78 quid, apparently. Yeah, good value. Yeah. Which is which is incredibly good value. Uh, it's bought uh, an acre of the moon. Uh, to act as a buffer zone between the US and Chinese zones and thus prevent World War III breaking out over the moon. It's very cheap, 78 it is quid, isn't it? And it's in a lovely spot as well. It's It actually overlooks the Sea of Tranquility, which, you know, off-season, off people forget, is lovely. <laughs> At peak season, it, it's absolutely chocker up there. But, uh, <laughs> with those clangers. <laughs> yeah, with the clangers. And, you know, if you're thinking of moving, the, the commute is awful. I mean, it really is. Can I just say, while we're on the Daily Star, by the way, like there's another headline on the front page, which is March of the Killer Hornets. I haven't actually looked at the story. I don't want to know. Why are the Killer Hornets marching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Now, dotted across the papers like a big, bad orange, it's the return of Donald Trump, though really he never went away, did he? There are quite a few stories about him. Some are online because the news came in late. So let's start with one from The Guardian. Trump committed fraud as he built his real estate empire, Judge Rules. So, uh, John, what's happening here? Things are not going brilliantly for Donald Trump. So this Guardian story uh, relates to one of the many court cases against him, this brought by New York's Attorney General Letitia James. 
um, and relates to his his, his business interests. Uh, James has been arguing basically that the Trump uh, organisation has been lying about the value of its its financial assets uh, as a way of uh, getting better financing rates. What's happened this week is that uh, the judge in that case has agreed with the Attorney General um, which means a much shorter trial, possibly as much as $250 million in financial penalties. And Trump and both Eric and Donald Jr. all being banned from uh, having business interests in the state of New York or being executives in any companies based there, which which feels like quite a big deal. It sounds like a really big deal for me, really. Like, I mean, what I can't work out is like whether this is the sort of thing he could shake off by just like moving all his business interests to Delaware or something. Mm. Or to Mar-a-Lago or whatever. Yeah. Although Mar-a-Lago obviously is being, yeah, it's also being kind of investigated. Also, I mean, you know, it is possible that he just accidentally overvalued things. We've, <laughs> we've all done it. I don't know if you've ever put anything on um, Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> And, you know, because we put an old duvet on there and I thought that would comfortably, it's high tog, you know, (laughs) I thought it would comfortably get 40 quid and we ended up listing it as free. So you know, my my the, my point is, it can it can happen. It can happen. But how I much have to money say, did you borrow against the old duvet? Yeah, there is that. Well, it didn't. I didn't hugely affect our capacity for getting better rates. But I, I have to, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying, the Halifax were very reasonable. <laughs> So that's one one of the many things that Trump has done. I mean, I have to say that the judge found that Trump and uh, Eric and Donald routinely and repeatedly deceived banks, insurers, and, you know, by massively overvaluing their assets. But we move on. OK, so look, this is the second story, which made a few papers yesterday. It's about Trump buying or not buying a gun. This is tremendous. Yeah, he visited a gun shop in South Carolina, and uh, in that gun shop, they sell a Glock with his face on it. Now, I haven't seen the picture, and I've deliberately not looked because the funnest thing to imagine is that his face is mounted over the barrel of the gun, and the bullets <laughs> come out of his tiny puckered little mouth, <laughs> <laughs> and that the gun goes eh, when it shoots. <laughs> like this. So anyway, there's pictures of Donald Trump on these guns and the, the gun store guy said, yeah, they're a bestseller because Trump fans. And uh, so they, Trump had a picture taken saying, here you go. And it says, basically, I've bought this gun. Uh, Aunt Glock, great. Please, please send money. Uh, and then it was pointed out that if you are facing a trial where you could end up with more than a year in jail, you can't buy a gun. <laughs> so, again, you know, for all the people who think there are no gun controls in the United States, they are and they're terribly stringent. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. um, it's actually very, very difficult if you're a criminal to get hold of a gun unless you just buy one. Anyway, so um, so he then sort of said, oh, well, I didn't I didn't buy the gun, really. Yes, exactly. They, they took one. it down. It was this spokesman that put up this video saying President Trump buys a Glock in South Carolina. And then immediately after somebody had pointed this out that, you know, you can't do it, he just took it down. It never <laughs> happened. Can I just read out the quote from Donald Trump in this story in The Telegraph? He said, uh, after looking at the gun, he said, I'm going to buy one. I want to buy one. Isn't Glock a great gun? <laughs> Every quote from him, he sounds like Homer Simpson. 
He really does. <laughs> so anyway, that's story number two. Okay, yeah. should we do story number three? Oh, story number three is a corker. It's great, isn't it? It's from the eye. So a former White House aide named Cassidy Hutchinson has written a tell-all memoir about her time in the Trump White House. She said she would have done anything for him. Like, she's, she's not going back on her politics, as far as I can tell. Um, but she does report that uh, in, in the wake of the events of, of January 6th, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was instructed to start burning papers, which, you know, you're not meant to do because all the presidential papers are meant to end up in the National Archive. Um, Meadows instructed his staff to make up a fire in his office every morning and would be seen feeding the papers into it one at a time, so much so that his wife asked him to stop as it was making his suit smell of a bonfire. <laughs> That's, that is when you know you've overdone the fire. Yeah. I mean, literally, a, he wanted a fire. This this man's called Mark Meadows. And he, he asked for a fire to be burning in his office every morning. And, yeah, so Hutchinson came in and said he would be feeding pipers in, watching to make sure they burned. It's, I mean, it's outrageous. This is This started, as I understand it, pretty much immediately after the election results. Yeah. Uh, that they were like, okay, this this has to be got rid of, and he did he did Trump not say to this aide of his, this all has to go away? No, he what he said was, I mean, you know, we don't know that he asked him to burn things, yeah. but he said it's embarrassing and to figure it out, and then this happened so kind of immediately yeah, yeah. afterwards. But yeah, I mean, it's a nuts story, isn't it? Yeah, especially the idea, as I think you you, you pointed out earlier when we were talking about it, that. If you burn the papers, everything disappears. It's like they've never heard of computers. It's so old-fashioned, isn't Google it? Google Drive. The idea this only exists on paper. I mean, maybe at that level, things do, so that they can sort of be made to disappear or whatever. I, I, I don't know, but surely somewhere there's a shared... I bet there's a WhatsApp group. <laughs> yeah, must be. OK, and we've got another story. Marcus, you found another story in the Star. Yes, well, this is Donald Trump, the environmentalist, is very, very concerned that... Um, <laughs> That wind turbines, which he's not a big fan of, are driving whales mad. <laughs> he says, he says windmills are killing whales by driving them mad. Now I don't know for sure whether this is because there are a lot of claims that windmills slap birds out of the sky. Whether he's visited SeaWorld and seen a whale jumping in the air, and then just <laughs> just imagine the nightmare scenario. <laughs> of a whale breaching out of the water and immediately being sliced into chunks. Uh, but no, he says, um, in, he says, the windmills are driving them crazy. They're driving the whales, I think, a little baddie. It's so, so strange. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what evidence he's got that whales are any madder than they were before. But... Yeah, but yeah, and there's also a comment, isn't there? The from, oh yes, from yes, the, the star. star. This story's in the star. It's re this is really, really good. So they cover the story, and then at the end say, "Sounds like he's been talking out of his blowhole again." And that's as far as they go. <laughs> <laughs> the star delivering again. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
Now, we talked about the Boris and Carrie Johnson nanny debacle a couple of days ago, where the Johnson's brand new nanny, Theresa Dawes, one of two nannies, I'd like to point out, was sacked after three days and given 15 minutes to pack her bags, supposedly for having a nice glass of rosé with Boris while Carrie was in hospital giving birth. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Since then, of course, several women journalists from The Times and The Telegraph have written my nanny hell articles. (laughs) 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 They're supportive of Carrie. Uh, Marcus, they're quite the read, aren't they? They really are. They're, they're absolutely stunning. And I can I just say how thrilled I am as probably the poshest person in the room that you've given me this story. And I, I just want to say that if our nanny is listening, I don't I don't mean any of this. One of the, lo- the lovely things about being really posh, and I'm not really posh, but I'm sort of quite posh, is in theory, you don't actually have to meet your children until they're 20. <laughs> A clever combination of nannying and boarding school. And uh, you might see them Christmas morning very briefly. Um, (laughs) But anyway, yes. So there are lots of amazing lines. No one sacks their nanny these days in London, even those with an angelic baby struggle to find childcare. There are so few nannies around. I really like the idea that the quality of your child affects the ability. I I suppose it does. Um, Are they on Trustpilot or something? (laughs) Five stars, three stars. Well, I I assume so. Um, Everyone knows staff talk, even the nicest ones. It's so So. horrible. That line really makes me go, like, I mean, I'm rarely class war, but it does make me go, class war now. Do you think there are still households, there must be across Britain, where someone goes, darling, not in front of the staff. Yeah, well, about what's interesting about there is a nanny that speaks in one of the articles who writes about it. Who basically says they never do that, so they're yeah. constantly kind of acting like me horribly in front of yeah. the staff, as though the staff just don't exist. As though the staff, you know, are not there at all. They, 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 well, they have no Rees eyes. Well, Jacob Rees-Mogg's nanny, who raised him and then raised his children, I believe, still lives in the house with them. But he still doesn't notice her. You know, she's just yeah. there. Yeah, she's just, just absolutely just around there. a presence. Yeah, uh, but there's a really There's a big one I'm going to jump to here where I do, if this is right, then I do have a lot of sympathy with the parents in this one. (laughs) Apparently they went on a spa holiday, took the nanny with them, and the nanny ended up having more spa treatments than the mum. Uh, And during their middle son's birthday party, this is what the mum reports, she says, while I beavered away making a hedgehog cake and playing past the parcel, Marta held court in the sitting room, chatting away with all the other mothers and drinking the champagne. My champagne that I'd bought to celebrate. She was holding forth about the children, my children, as if she was the mother and I was the hired help. And she doesn't say, but I think it's true to say that, it, you know, people, children don't like a hedgehog cake. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's just, I mean, the whole thing just makes me laugh because that story, which is basically the nanny who turned, yeah. I really like. So it started off great, but then just gradually this nanny called Marta wanted to, you know, she wanted to start work half an hour later because she was doing a course and she joined the same gym as the mum and started leaving early to do a gym class, the one that the mum wanted to yeah, do. Yeah. It's like an That's episode amazing. of Black Mirror for really I posh love people. I it, exactly. Well, like you wake up, this poor woman wakes up one day and finds that she's the nanny. <laughs> And this is clearly what Carrie was worrying about. I think you're right. Which is why she she dealt with it so so yep. quickly. You have a theory, John, about these ridiculous stories in the Times and the Telegraph. I generally have a theory. It's kind of my... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ill, ill-informed theory is very, very much my thing. Um, so, so I do think that, like, 
The paper's readerships have been shrinking on a sort of, you know, 20, 30-year timeline. That's the, the numbers internet. rather than the people. The pe- yeah, I mean, I mean, the Telegraph, the, the readership is getting increasingly old, so I think it might be the people Both. as well. <laughs> um, apparently, they describe it as leakage, Ooh. which is literally a euphemism for the people who buy the Telegraph dying and not being replaced. One of the warning um, signs of the Telegraph is if you can't reach either side of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the sort of side effect of this is, like, their readerships are getting increasingly select, shall we say, in terms of their class, in terms of their values. Uh, and the papers are still still uh, trying to provide the kind of content that these particular readerships want. MPs or the producers of the Today programme or whoever it may be, see these papers every day and see these stories about nannies and think, well, this is clearly an important issue to Middle Britain. When it's not, it's like a couple of thousand extremely posh people with mad opinions. And I just kind of think that it's at least possible this is driving the growing insanity of our politics in the <laughs> Conservative Party. Yes, very true. I mean, it's literally you're kind of catering for people, for mad, I mean, we will come to this, mad people who hate migrants and in, ma- yeah. and really nutty posh posh women in west london well i mean the, the yeah the conservative party membership who despite all of the screaming warnings put liz truss into office are a, that is a peculiar bunch of people yeah they're not that's a mysterious group of people yeah. too we don't really know who they are but they're not even representative of the kind of the bit of the country that might vote conservative most no. of whom were looking at this and going what the fuck are you doing mm. but um, there's a there's a really very noticeable dialing up of the tone in the mail now, very, very focused on what Labour will do and how they will destroy you and all the rest of it. Their whole front page is about the um, about the class war and 20% on the cost of private school fees, which I know you covered at length yesterday. But I think the way that the mail has pitched it, a lot of people reading it assume that that's about them and it isn't. No, it cause... isn't about them. It's about a tiny, tiny select group of people. And the same with the inheritance tax thing. Like, they're coming for you. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely not. not. It's 7% of people send their kids to private school mm. and 4% of people are affected by inheritance tax. Yeah. That's it. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeeda Varsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here at Paper Cuts, headlines make us happy. We like them sharp and mean. We like them daft and delirious. We like a robust rhyme and we like a fun pun. You know what? We just like them. What do we have today? Any good examples? Yeah, we do. Uh, There's a story in The Sun. Failing water firms told to shave £114 million off bills. uh, And the headline they've gone with is, what a shower. (laughs) Absolute shower. Yeah, what a shower. Quite not right. too bad. It's, it's, it's not bad. And then um, there's the cost of living shrinkage thing where things you buy that you think are the same are actually smaller, like telegraph readers. Um, <laughs> uh, and so the headline here is Galaxy, far, far away from old size. And that's actually under the, the other pun heading, Chock Horror. 
I have to say, Chock Horror is better than Far, Far Away from Old Spice. From just, Old Spice. It's, it's quite hard work, one. isn't it? But oh, I thought it was a Father Dougal thing. I thought they were saying it's like the chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, further away. It's simply yeah. further away. Yeah. John, what do you have? Uh, so, still with the sun, on page two, there's a story about how uh, bosses of the HS2 project have been spending money on a woke inclusivity document. As experts warn the line's real cost could double to $180 billion. I don't think that's true. And also, I don't think it's because of woke inclusivity documents. Anyway, the headline is, HS2 gets woke as it goes for broke. Well, they're definitely all, connected, aren't they? All that does is rhyme. And whoever wrote that headline is genuinely going to lose their mind when they discover the Trans-Pennine Express. Now... Suella Braverman is on most of the front pages as she's just given a much trailed speech in America to the American Enterprise Institute, which is described as a right of centre think tank in Washington. The Telegraph's headline is British culture will disappear without migration controls, says Braverman. John, what is she going on about now? So our Home Secretary, whose ancestry is from Mauritius and Kenya, whose husband, I believe, is Jewish, who is serving in a government headed by a British Indian, uh, is arguing that multiculturalism has failed. Uh, she's making this speech to the American Enterprise Institute, which has been described as a right-of-centre think tank in Washington. It's quite a long way right-of-centre, I believe. Um, it's It feels like it's part of the same sort of attempt to, to kind of align with kind of US conservatives and sort of build a sort of, you know, a broader international conservative movement. But there's also, let's be honest, an attempt to kind of shift responsibility for for the fact that the government has promised to stop the boats and is failing to stop the boats. So basically her contention is that the problem is the 1951 UN Convention on Refugees, which she says is, is too soft on refugees and uh, not fit for the modern world. Yeah, her use of numbers in her speech was, uh, was, was sort of quite dramatic. She basically suggested that roughly a billion people uh, are going to move to the UK, and that the and that the criteria for becoming a refugee is roughly speaking, if you're Turkish and you've stubbed your toe, uh, that that'll do. Uh, she sort of says that uh, you know that being uh, basically being gay isn't enough, and there's a big difference between being persecuted for being gay. Uh, and life being difficult. And the criteria for life being dif difficult in some places where, for example, uh, two gay people can't get married, that wouldn't gain you entry. But if you're going to be killed for it, mm -hmm. that might be a reason to consider it. But she games the numbers uh, very well, and it, and it works. It works brilliantly. It really, really scares people. Yeah, but who does it work for? Because I wonder, what, like, who is she talking to? What's she really doing? I mean, it's it's very clearly aimed at the people who will be voting in the next Conservative leadership election, isn't it? Um, it's a pitch to be kind of like the standard bearer of the right of the party. Um, she's got a pretty safe seat. She's probably going to survive even a fairly bad electoral wipeout. She's a very plausible candidate to, to be the party's next leader. And this is her kind of, like, it's a core vote strategy. Mm. And the interesting question is, why is Rishi Sunak not slapping her down? Like, this speech will have had to have been... A minister on that level, her speeches have to be approved by someone in number 10. This will have been seen by someone. So has this been allowed to go ahead because the prime minister is not strong enough to tell her, no, you can't go and say that? 
or does he uh, want someone in the party kind of making these arguments as kind of a dog whistle to the right? Or does he want someone in the party making these arguments because he agrees with them? Yeah, that's what's really difficult to know, isn't it? It's like you, whether whether he's doing it because he just wants her to take the flack or whether he's mm. doing it because he actually secretly mm. believes it. Please take the flack. I can't say it at the moment. Mm. I mean, yeah. the conspiracy theory version of this is that she is basically daring him to sack her oh. so that she can hold a leadership challenge then. Which, you know, as... Oh, another as, one before the next election. <laughs> that would I mean, be something, as, wouldn't it? As, as someone who, who has a weekly column to fill, which is largely about politics, that would be fucking brilliant. <laughs> Liz Truss would run again. Yeah. On all the rhetoric that she has, she's been out there peddling, her main what core they, belief is, I simply didn't have the time. What if they all run again? What if it's like the Avengers? <laughs> so we, <laughs> we get Boris Johnson back and like Theresa yeah. May. That would be amazing. Season finale. Now, somewhere between the rabid ranting of the front pages and the charming chanting of the back ones, you'll find the soppy heart of the papers, the angsty agony ants, the cuckoo columnists, the loopy lifestyles, the hardcore house porn, all the stuff of life. Marcus, what story have you found today? Uh, well, there's a really nice story here. I love stuff like this because it genuinely fills in gaps in your in your useless knowledge trove. Uh, it's the truth behind those pub phrases. This and is where is it? Well, this is in the star. Yes, the, the star. The saviour, once again. Um, so the word boozer, for example, do you know where that comes from? Uh, no, I've absolutely no idea. Originally, it was a Dutch word, boozer. Uh, B-U-I-S-E, buse, for a large drinking vessel. So oh. that that was the buser. Uh, has, it they, got, has it got an explanation of pissed as a newt? No, they haven't got pissed as a newt. I mean, I suppose my guess about that is the way that newts move about is pretty similar to someone leaving a pub having to use lampposts to, to get home. <laughs> yeah. They have got on a bender. Okay, and what's this that? is from, well, the, the Royal Mint, um, a sixpence could be bent due to its high silver content. And the phrase for getting drunk was called on a bender because sixpence was enough to get you pissed back in the day. Oh, we could weep, couldn't we? Sixpence. <laughs> Just say how educational the Daily Star is. <laughs> OK, I'm going to give you one more exciting piece. It's in the mail and I shall read you some of the opening paragraph and you can uh, guess what it's about. OK. <laughs> Caroline has a guilty secret. It gives her a frisson of excitement, an electrifying buzz, if you will. I mean, we all know what this sounds like. It yeah. sounds like a new vibrator. But no! What has she discovered? Shoplifting. <laughs> oh, hey, Caroline. Hey, Caroline. Yeah, in Confessions of the Middle Class Mums Who Shoplift, the male has a new take on the shoplifting scourge that has been slashing companies' profits. I mean, you know, it's it's a delightful read. One woman moved, uh, she had, she'd bought something online and so she got a sticker that says already paid for and she moved it to a 150 quid drill that she hadn't paid for and waltzed out of the shop. I mean, you know, Ooh. top technique, I have to say. Yeah. But um, what I would say is it's a double page spread from the mail yet again to attract women and tell them they're rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> All at the same time. But, I mean, smart women are going to look at that and just find new techniques for stealing things, right? Well, yeah, apparently so. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John. 
Thank you. And thanks to Marcus. Thanks for having me. Remember, we're now out five days a week and we would be really grateful for your support to carry on making sense of the papers for you every weekday. We are a 100% independent outfit. No big media owner behind us. We spend £600 a month on papers alone. So it would be fantastic if you could chip in a little to keep paper cuts on the road. For as little as £3 a month, you can get 20 episodes a month without adverts. Support us with a little bit more and you can get extended episodes with extra material, plus the coveted paper cuts, mugs and T-shirts as modelled occasionally by our panel. Follow the show notes to back.papercutshow.com. That's B-A-C-K dot papercutshow.com to find out more. Our beloved supporters get a shout out on the show and here are three now. We're going to read out one each. Marcus. Hello and thank you very much to Hannah Breer Edney. And it's thank you from me to Sachin Pandey. And hiya. <laughs> and hiya. thanks hiya. And thanks very much, Eva Brome. And with names like those, you better form a band immediately. <laughs> I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when the Telegraph reveals that Card Factory has decided to produce a new range of greetings cards so that your pet John, can send you a celebratory birthday missive. Even though, sorry to ruin this, pet lovers, that card will be from you. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts is written and presented by Miranda Sawyer. Audio production and music were by Simon Williams. Production from Lee and Tay and assistant production from me, Adam Wright. Designed by James Parrott. Socials are by Jess Harpin, the managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, the executive producer is Martin Boitosh, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. <laughs>